the love of God was magnified at the cross precisely because the wrath of God was satisfied at the cross. That's where we see God's love most clearly because Christ was willing to suffer and die in our place in order to forgive us and redeem his people. And it, yeah, to, to take it away, it cheapens the, the suffering of Christ and it ultimately cheapens his love, yeah. right? Welcome back to another week of our midweek musings. I'm Pastor Daniel Ventura and I'm here with Pastor Taylor Kern and we look forward to diving into one of our midweek musings. Before we do that, last week we had the opportunity to uh, interact with a couple of different uh, missionaries and brothers who are working in the mission field in our denomination. One of them was uh, Jose Ramirez. And uh, Pastor Kern, I think you had Jose over your house last week. And what were some of the highlights from last week as we got to spend time with Jose and also with uh, Pastor Richard Bout? Yeah, it was a really blessed week. Uh, It was a full week with a lot of activities. And we, as you said, hosted in our house, Pastor Jose Ramirez, who originally is from El Salvador and Mm. is currently serving in Toronto. I think we talked about that last week with him yeah. on the show, which was fun. Yeah. Uh, but we just had a great time, including the, the time we were able to spend with uh, Reverend Richard Bout, our missions coordinator for the URCNA, our denomination. And then we also had the special guest of uh, Dr. Charles Telfer, mm. who stopped in on one of our evening services. And he was our Greek and Hebrew That's professor right. at uh, Westminster Seminary in California. So it was a full blessed week. Yeah. And I guess some of my highlights with uh, Pastor Jose Ramirez in particular, we were able to spend lots of time chatting and we went out uh, last Friday evening together, all three of us with some yeah. brothers from First Chino URC. And we went out to Claremont and we had a table and we did some street evangelism and it was a great time we were able to spend with the brothers out there yeah. witnessing uh, to our neighbors and seeing if they had any prayer needs and striking up conversation and sharing a bit about our church and our faith. So that was great and love to see us continue to do that as a church, um, maybe somewhere here locally to have mm-hmm. a more faithful presence in the city and evangelize to our neighbors. Yeah. But I would say that perhaps my the greatest highlight with Jose Ramirez were at, at night, we had a couple conversations and two different nights and the, the last night that he spent with us as well, where we stayed up super late um, mm-hmm. just talking and we just had our Bibles out in front of us and we were going over different passages and just yeah. treasuring God's mm-hmm. word together and delighting in the truths uh, that are found therein. And it was just, it was such a joy to have that deep conversation yeah. into the to the riches of God's word and kind of discovering it again together yeah. and sharing in the, the joy of, uh, of yeah, the, the gospel that's found in God's word. Amen. Yeah, I'm sure it was a mutual blessing. You know, Jose's all the way out there in Toronto and sometimes some of our missionaries in the URCNA could be quite lonely. So I'm sure that he was blessed by your presence too and just being in your home and especially speaking with someone who's doing ministry amongst the Latinos. I'm sure that was um, an encouragement I learned a lot from Jose as well. We got to, you know, hang out, all three of us, and Jose was very kind in, in sharing, um, you know, just different things to think about when it comes to Hispanic ministry, and I feel like I learned a lot, and it's good to now prayerfully think about how we could be more of a faithful presence in our city, like you were mentioning, and reaching out to our neighbors, especially those um, in the Hispanic community. So that's exciting. 
But um, we want to dig in now to our midweek musing. And this past Lord's Day, uh, Pastor Kern, what text did you preach? And what was the main point? We have been making our way through the book of Isaiah, and we're coming close to the end of the book. And we looked at Isaiah chapter 63, verse 1 to 6, which is a fierce and intense passage, uh, very poetic and rich in its content. And it's presenting to us this vision of the soul avenger, the anointed conqueror who's coming to bring justice to the earth on behalf of God's redeemed people. Mm -hmm. And so it's a picture of Christ coming after actually Judgment Day, returning from Judgment Day. Mm -hmm. And we, we see him as one who has tread the or trodden the winepress mm -hmm. of God's wrath. And it's a very intense image. But as I mentioned in the sermon, we find that as we consider God's wrath uh, in this passage here, that we find that the very one who comes to bring judgment mm -hmm. is the one who is first judged on our behalf, mm -hmm. the one who came as a suffering servant, which we saw yeah. earlier in Isaiah. And so we ha here we're given this fuller picture of Jesus. And like I mentioned in the sermon, as C.S. Lewis speaks of the... Mm -hmm. Lion Aslan, who represents Jesus in the Chronicles of Narnia, symbolically there. This Jesus that we are coming to know through the book of Isaiah is not safe, but he's good. And um, we get a full picture of who he is. He is both full of divine love and full of divine wrath. Mm. And those two things cannot be separated. Yeah, that's really good. There, I, I'm trying to remember where it is in the Heidelberg Catechism, but it's on that question and answer. You know, mm -hmm. what comfort do you receive from that truth that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? Yes. And it talks about how that judge who is coming has already stood in my place, right? So we could look forward to that second coming, not with fear if we're Christians, but with a sense of thankfulness and joy that he is coming to save us and redeem us um, and coming to judge his enemies. But like you said, Pastor Taylor, there's a lot of imagery throughout this portion of Isaiah that, that points to the, the justice, the majesty, the glory of Jesus as that great soul avenger. And is there any other imagery in this text that stands out to you that connects us with that point? Well, as I mentioned in the sermon, there is this ancient motif in Christian theology and iconography or art not that we would support or, or commend uh, images of Jesus, but we find it historically in the church in certain periods. But this theme or motif of the mystic wine press, and what you see in different cathedrals um, in Europe, ancient images of Christ, they're in the wine press carrying a cross. And the idea comes from. Augustine of Hippo and also Gregory uh, the Great who interpreted this passage saying that Christ was first the grape who was pressed under mm -hmm. the wine uh, press of God's wrath mm -hmm. on our behalf yeah. and he willingly entered into that and was judged in our place and condemned in our place mm -hmm. so that we instead of being of receiving the condemnation that we rightfully deserve for sinning against God, mm -hmm. we receive the blessing of his salvation. Mm 
And so we see him coming here as one whose garments are crimsoned and his apparel is red because he has treaded, he treads the wine press. Mm -hmm. But we have to remember that he was first crushed for us mm -hmm. on our behalf. And this is speaking of that future when he comes back in judgment, fierce to judge the living and the dead, as we confess in the Apostles' Creed. But right now, before his second coming, as it says here in Isaiah 63, he is the one who is speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Mm -hmm. And so we have this, this call that to, to find him now. Today is a day of salvation. To find him now while he is mighty to save. Uh, lest we wait and find him mighty in vengeance on the last day as he's depicted here for us in this passage. That's right. Yeah, I look at verse 6 where it says, I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath. Yeah. And I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. But as you mentioned, like that is what Christ will do to all of those who do not kiss the Son, right? Who do not um, come to him in faith and repentance. But this Savior, Jesus, right? He is the one who drank that full cup of God's wrath for us at the cross. He's the one who poured out his own lifeblood on the earth, right? So it's a reminder that if we take refuge in Christ, all of our sins have been dealt with and God's justice has been satisfied. But if we refuse to come to Christ, and I think you made that point in your sermon, right? Um, then we have to pay for our sins, right? And, and we have to endure the justice of a holy God towards our sin and this is what it looks like to meet god purely in his justice right and so i think that was a a really good warning that that god would speak to us from his word um, as he yes on the one hand invites people to come to jesus and to receive salvation but also to heed that warning that this is what is going to happen when jesus returns yes yes clearly from a passage like this we find that sin and evil are not trivial things to God. Mm. He takes it very seriously that he is coming um, to bring that justice and that he is angry, rightfully so, mm. against all of the evil and sin that humanity commits and that we all contribute to uh, daily because it's destroying the goodness, the beauty, and the truth of his creation. And so uh, God's anger and wrath is, is righteous here. And we see that most clearly on the cross of Calvary, which was um, one of my points where we see that God takes his wrath so seriously that he was willing to suffer under it himself mm -hmm. in the person of Jesus Christ, willing to take it upon himself in order to satisfy his own justice. Mm -hmm. God cannot just forgive without dealing rightly with our sin. Justice must be had in yeah. Christ took that on our behalf so that he can be both just and the justifier of he who has faith in Christ. So he can, he can declare uh, unrighteous, evil people like us who have sinned against a holy God, he can declare us just, not only innocent, but just, righteous, mm -hmm. not on the basis of anything we have done, but because Christ has satisfied divine justice by receiving the condemnation yeah. we deserve, and now he accredits to us, not only the canceling of that debt that we had with God for all of our sins against him, but also he accredits, accredits to us his perfect righteousness. Yeah. The only one who has fulfilled God's righteous laws as a human uh, on our behalf, as our mediator. 
And there's another passage that I was going to incorporate into the sermon that I ended up not. I ended up cutting it out from Revelation chapter 5, where John is given this vision of the throne room of God Mm. and the scroll that has the scroll of God that has the seven seals upon it. And he begins to mourn and lament because no one is found Mm. who is worthy to open that scroll and to break the seals. And that scroll represents the unfolding of God's judgment Mm. upon the earth uh, to bring it to a close and to bring final judgment and to, to bring final justice, to make all things right and to bring about the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And so as he's mourning and lamenting, one of the angels appears uh, or one of the elders appears and says to John, um, behold, do not mourn, do not weep for behold, um, there is one who is worthy and it is the lamb of God, um, the, the lion of Judah, the one who was slain, the lamb who was slain for us. And so we see he is, on the one hand, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, the suffering servant, but then he is also the Lion of Judah, fierce in his judgment against sin and evil. But at the same time, he is both, right? The suffering servant and the conquering king, the Lamb that was slain and the Lion of Judah. Yeah, that's really good, brother. It's a helpful text that gives us a fuller picture of who Jesus is, right? And, and his love and his justice, as he mentioned. Yeah. And I think that leads to the next question when I think about, you know, how does a text like this correct our thinking as Christians? And how does a text like this comfort us? Yeah, as I mentioned in the sermon, we tend to cringe at the wrath of God, mm-hmm. this idea that God is righteously angry against evil. Mm-hmm. And this challenges us. It shows us that no what should make us cringe rather is a God who is not angry mm-hmm. at evil, a God who is apathetic or indifferent yeah. towards all of the evil and all of the suffering that takes place in the world, a God that sees every evil thought, desire, intention, and action of humans and is apathetic towards it and does not respond with righteous anger is not a God that any of us should respect. Mm. But that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is one who is righteously angry against sin because of its destructive nature and how uh, it brings so much misery and death and destruction to all that God has created good, beautiful, and true. And so, yeah, this passage tends to cause us to cringe as uh, Westerners often because we, we think too lightly of our mm-hmm. sin. Yeah. We, we maybe think of others as deserving of judgment, but we don't see how evil our own sinfulness is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think perhaps that we deserve mercy and grace. Yeah, That's really good. I, I, I thought that was such a great point in your sermon with uh, highlighting why it is we do cringe, but how we should cringe, you know, at the fact, like you just said, that, that God would not take evil seriously. And I think I think there's a couple of reasons why we don't like the topic of God's wrath. It's because we don't understand that word. We think God's wrath means he kind of flies off the handles like maybe mm-hmm. we do when we're on the road and we're suffering road rage or something. We think God is, you know, emotionally reacting off the handles in his wrath and is going to punish and hurt somebody. 
But, you know, God's wrath, rightly understood, is his, his steady, unrelenting opposition to all that is evil, right? It's, um, it's, it's an expression of his holiness, his holy character. Um, I remember some years ago there was a, a hymnal that was being produced, and I think it was in the Methodist tradition, and they wanted to translate one line in that hymn in Christ alone. It's a very familiar mm. song, but they wanted it to, to change the line. For on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They wanted to change that line to on the cross where Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. Mm. And, um, mm. you know, that's a, that's a true statement. The love of God yeah. was magnified. But they wanted to take out that idea of God's wrath being satisfied. Wow. And I think, again, because we, we, we kind of, as people who misunderstand God's wrath and mm. also exalt our own, I think, holiness in our character, we, we want to get rid of that category, but it's so essential to the goodness of the gospel, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So That's this remarkable. text corrects us. Like yeah. I think you're you really helpfully in expositing this passage help to conform our thinking to God's word, which helps us ultimately to appreciate the gospel so much more. Yeah. I mean, just that example you gave, it's ironic because the love of God was magnified at the cross precisely because the wrath of God that's was right. satisfied at the cross. Yeah. That's where we see God's love most mm. clearly because yeah. Christ was willing to suffer and die in our place in order yeah. to forgive us yeah. and redeem his people. Yeah. And it yeah, yeah. to to take it away it cheapens the the suffering of Christ and it ultimately cheapens his love. Yeah. Right? He it was does. willing to go so far as to suffer in our place to be tr- trodden upon by the Jews, the Romans, and by divine wrath in order to extend to us his divine love. Mm. Yeah. And that that connects with the comfort of this passage and what Jesus went through for us as that one who satisfied the wrath of God. It ties back to a sermon that you had a couple weeks ago from 1 John and that word propitiation, right? Mm -hmm. That really important Mm -hmm. Christian word, which means that Jesus satisfied the wrath of God in our place. And, um, you know, that he did that for the Jews and he did that for the Gentiles. He did that for the whole world, right? For all who would know him in faith and repentance. That's right. And it reminds me, as I mentioned in the sermon, that when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he had previously said he is the vine, right? Um, And here he is as he's preparing to enter into the wine press to to have his blood spilled out spilt and splattered out and poured out for us he's saying take this Mm -hmm. cup of blessing Mm -hmm. that he extends and gives to us this cup filled with the blessing of god in his blood because he was willing to pour that out for us and he was as you already mentioned earlier he drank Mm -hmm. every last drop of the wrath of God that was stored up mm-hmm. for us because of our sins, so that instead of the cup of wrath that we deserve, He gives us the cup of blessing mm. that we bless. Yeah, right. That's right. That's good. That's really good. Um, as we think about this passage and various takeaways for different kinds of Christians in our congregation or in the world, you know, how does this text apply to different kinds of believers? I think of those believers, uh, you know, maybe who are going through persecution and different parts of the world or who have gone through difficult times. How does a text like this, you know, comfort even people in those situations? It's a good question. I think 
as Western Christians, we tend to cringe at a passage like this, as we've already said. But other Christians around the world who are under severe persecution and face great mm-hmm. injustice and the threat of their own upon their own lives and of their loved ones, they they delight in passages like this because yeah. here we have the promise that Christ is coming back for his redeemed people to vindicate them from all the wrong that has mm-hmm. been done against them in this life, all of the violence and suffering that they experience. And one author says this, oppressed peoples around the world have been empowered by the scriptural picture of a God who is angered by injustice and unrighteousness. And so this is the kind of God that those who are suffering under the sword, under extreme persecution, they can rest assured that Christ is returning. He is coming to vindicate them. And that even if they die under the sword, that Christ will bring justice Mm. for them as well in the end. And so this is the kind of uh, passage, the kind of Christ that, you know, in the book of Revelation, we we hear the saints who were martyred uh, crying out, how long, O Lord, how long until you come back Mm. to judge the living and the dead, until you make all things right and bring justice? Because there is so much injustice and evil that takes place around the world Mm -hmm. and no courts even if courts do uh, bring a measure of justice it's never the full and final justice that our hearts long for Mm -hmm. uh, when great evil has been done but here we have a picture of and a promise from god that full justice will be brought Mm -hmm. in the end yeah yeah and we do long for that we long for that perfect justice uh, to be done and you know this text um, you know speaks to those persecuted Christian believers and you know it also speaks to people you know today in, in our own world that you know are suffering unjust circumstances and, and maybe there is no justice this side of heaven mm. you know think of someone in a, in a terribly abusive relationship and they're Christians and maybe they're praying for God to deliver them to um, you know to help them but maybe this side of heaven that that prayer isn't always answered but but we know that that God is not going to let wickedness go unchecked, right? And that there will be justice and vindication for God's children, right? God will vindicate His children, and God will punish evil. And um, you know, how does that truth of God being the one who will bring vengeance and and punish evil, how does that shape you know how we're supposed to live then in this world as Christians when we're going through? the persecutions we're going through the difficulty you know how does that shape our attitude if god is the ultimate soul avenger it's a good question i think there's a passage in romans chapter 12 that's helpful here where the apostle paul says bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse them repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then he says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I think a passage like this from Paul, it keeps us from restlessly pursuing justice in this life. It's easy for someone to get so consumed with injustice and the longing to, to find and um, 
and seek justice in this world, whether that's personally for yourself or some wrong done to you mm-hmm. or some injustice in the world. And some people can be consumed with that fight for justice that they never find any rest or peace. Mm-hmm. And it's not that Paul or God would have us not seek measures of justice through the courts and the systems that exist in the world. Like we should seek justice. We should care about justice in the world. Mm-hmm. But it's a bit idealistic. It is idealistic to try and seek and find and accomplish full and final justice mm. through the courts of this world. Yeah. Uh, our hearts long for that final justice, but we ourselves can't, can't bring it about. Mm. Um, but God is saying, don't worry in that sense. I will bring it. Yeah. I will have yeah. vengeance. And that longing that you have, I will fulfill for you in the end. And so, yes, be live at peace with all. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. We can say, seek measures of justice, but in the end, entrust the final justice to me. Mm. Yeah. Does that make sense? That's a good word. Yeah, it's a, it is a tough thing, this side of heaven, to walk in that tension, right? Because there is so much great injustice in this world and even in our own, our own lands. I mean, you think about all the issues that Christians have been concerned for rightly because it's an expression of how we love our neighbor. Yeah. Right? You think about the unborn. Think about those historically that have been you know, um, uh, you know, prejudiced against in our country. Um, I saw that even in Canada with, mm. uh, with the native population as well. Mm. And... Um, what God requires of us as Christians, you know, and how we walk with them is to, to walk humbly and to do justice or to be people who, yeah. who have that as part of how we love our neighbor. But as you rightly said, this text reminds us that that perfect justice that we want to see, we can ultimately bring, right? Yeah. And again, it doesn't mean we do nothing, but it means we, we labor in hope. And ultimately we see that, that Jesus is the one who will bring that about and, and ultimately it's his kingdom that brings about that justice. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, I think this passage, even the, the fierce recompense and anger of Jesus bringing about justice, it's what we're praying for in part when we pray, Jesus, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, yeah. right? Yeah. We're praying come and establish your perfect reign, which means the undoing of all evil, right? So. So we labor as we love our neighbor as ourselves, but we, uh, but we do so ultimately looking to Christ, right? Amen. Yes, yeah. yes. And I think as we, another application from this passage related to justice um, and all that Christ has accomplished for us is that this passage enables us to forgive, mm. to forgive one another and even forgive, um, not only forgiving other Christians, but Uh, extending forgiveness even to unbelievers as well because vengeance belongs to the Lord that I can forgive my brother or my sister who Mm. has sinned against me because and I should and I must Mm. because Christ has already paid the full price Mm. of um, of the the judgment uh, that they deserve for that sin Mm. that they committed against me or some wrong that they did to me and so to hold that against them is to say that Christ's suffering mm. on their behalf was not enough, that yeah. they need to suffer more. That's right. Right? And so when I see that, no, Christ fully suffered for them, then I must say, 
I forgive you mm-hmm. because Christ has yeah. already suffered in full for them. Mm-hmm. And when we look to the unbelievers uh, who do not belong to Christ yet um, by faith and maybe never will, that we can still extend forgiveness to them mm-hmm. in part because Christ is saying the payment for their sins against you will come mm-hmm. upon them. If they do not repent and believe in the gospel, if they do not receive Jesus by faith, then that payment of justice that you long for because of this wrong that's been done against you or your loved ones or your family or others in society, that payment will come Mm -hmm. um, when they stand before the judge of all the earth um, and are held account for all that they have done. And so... Um, God is promising justice, and that justice that he promises is the basis for our forgiveness, forgiving one another Mm -hmm. and forgiving those who have done wrong to us. It's a good word, brother. Thank you for um, just opening God's word chapter by chapter throughout Isaiah, because as as we see, as we make our way through it, it's all of these different notes that we need to hold on to, to have a bigger view of Jesus, of God's word, of forgiveness and justice and how they all work together right and um, and it was a really helpful passage for me to understand even better God's holiness and God's coming judgment uh, but also the comfort that we receive as we take refuge in Christ right as we um, find that blessing by taking refuge in him Um, any particular passage from this chapter that you would encourage us to commit to memory it's hard to find one verse in this passage, but I think verse four does stand out because it helps us understand the day of the Lord, Mm. that second coming of Christ. He describes it here as, for the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption had come. And so we find that God's vengeance is tied in together with his love and care for his redeemed and that when he comes back in vengeance it is for his own people as well um, to deliver them from his final wrath and bring them in to the fullness of his glory and again it calls us to respond in faith to the one who poured out his lifeblood mm. for us to redeem us to forgive us um, that he was there on the cross Uh, suffering divine wrath Mm -hmm. and sustained by divine love for us and he invites us to come now uh, Mm -hmm. while he still speaks in righteousness mighty to save lest again as i said we meet him on that day of vengeance Mm -hmm. Um, apart from him we don't want to meet god apart from the finished work of christ outside of christ no if you do this is the Mm -hmm. this is the christ you will face you will not face he, he who is gentle and lowly of heart. That's right. Uh, but you will face him who is full of vengeance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't want to meet him on that day. That's right. Apart from his grace and mercy now. And so mm-hmm. I just, again, call anyone who might be listening to turn from their sins and to trust in the finished work of Christ. As we looked at in Psalm 2, blessed are all those who take refuge in him, That's refuge right. in him now. Uh, while he is, he still may be found mighty to save. Amen. Yes, and we encourage anyone listening to this to come to church this Sunday morning. I think Pastor Taylor will be hitting Isaiah 65, which is God's great invitation that goes out to all people. 
and the need to respond to that invitation in faith and in repentance by coming to Christ. So, so come and learn about what God's invitation looks like as it goes out to the nations and, and what it looks like this side of heaven to respond rightly to that. That's Isaiah 65 this upcoming Sunday. So thank you listeners for um, listening in to this midweek musing. It's been a joy to be here with you, Pastor Taylor, and to meditate on God's word. We look forward to doing it again next week, God willing.